Welcome back to Who's Talking. He brings an infectious energy to whatever he does, from cheering on the NBA basketball team he owns and jeering the refs, to grilling would-be entrepreneurs who want his financial support. Now he's putting that same zeal into a new project, improving public health by cutting the cost of prescription drugs. I worked a lot on this question, Alex. Hey, so, Tania, don't do that. We- <laughs> Are you always like this? Are you saying parents are wrong? Yes. Will you come back? Yes, of course I will. Mark Cuban, welcome. It's great to sit down and talk to you again. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm excited. So I have got to start with Shark Tank because Uh I got to tell you, when I'm getting ready for bed every night, I put on Shark (laughs) Tank and I watch at least one pitch. Uh, and I don't know, that somehow calms me down and gets me ready to go to bed. <laughs> this is your 13th season. Yep. And the question is, is it good for your business? Is it an ego boost or is it just for fun? Um, it really, the reason I do the show is it sends a message to the entire country that watches that the American dream still is alive and well, and particularly for kids. You know, there aren't a lot of business classes, particularly at the lower grades. And I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me and said, you know, when I was 12 years old or 13 years old, I started watching Shark Tank and I've started my own business and been successful. Or my kids and I watch Shark Tank because it's the only show we can watch together as a family. So just sending that message and educating kids, that's the ego boost I like. You have had some interesting moments over the years. (laughs) Let's take a look. Sure. She's a gold no, digger. No, she's not a gold digger. <laughs> Did you just call me a gold digger? Yes. <laughs> this is going to be as fast as uh, last season's Dallas Mavericks playoff highlight reel. I believe Can that. Can I just ele- say that highlight reel you have? Oh, wait, you don't have a team. You don't have any highlights of anything, do you? Put you know what's going to screw you up, Cash? The fact that you're believing your own nonsense. Right? Are, At some point, you got to do the work. Just real being numbers. be somebody doesn't get done, bro. What is up with that rim? Well, I hope the league doesn't see this. Wow, he does suck. <laughs> Killing me, Chris. Killing me. No, I, we had our staff go through 13 seasons and find the most embarrassing moments. Oh, that's funny. Over, and you're just into your 13th season, uh-huh. over these years, you say that you've invested more than $29 million in some 85 companies. What's your best investment? What's your worst investment? Um, I'd say my best investment is a company called Cycloramic, which did computer vision. Started off just doing panoramic video on an iPhone 5 and then expanded into computer vision. They got sold to Carvana, and we, we killed it. It was really, well, really good. You say you killed it. What did you invest? What did um, you... I think I invested $250,000 and ended up with $22 million. You ended yeah. up? Why didn't you call me? <laughs> and what was the worst investment? Oh, there's a long list of really bad ones. Because sometimes, you know, you, sometimes you invest in the, the entrepreneur as opposed to the business. And I've had entrepreneurs take the money and not even show up from there. And so I've had a few stinkers along the way. So speaking of stinkers, you've had some uncomfortable moments. Those were the comfortable moments. Right? You've had some uncomfortable moments on Shark Tank. Let's look at one of them. Uh-oh. Could we possibly come in for 300000 and maybe for 10%? No, 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 sir, Richard Branson. I'm asking a question. It has to be six hundred. Oh, okay. I think the water just has to go. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what I think. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm out of here. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was a moment. <laughs> you looked genuinely ticked off there. I you? was. I was because you know what it takes to get ready, you know, and all the production and everything. So I just kept. So in a typical day, we'll start shooting at eight o'clock in the morning, eight thirty, and go until seven at night. And so when you go through, when that happened, all I can think was, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to go through all the preparation stuff and the set and all that kind of stuff. So I was pissed. You supposedly said after that that you never want to be in the same room with Sir Richard again. Is that true? Not quite like that. I was just like, it's not something I'd look forward to. Have you been in the same room with him? No, I have not. I haven't talked to him since. Not not a word. What's your relationship like with the other sharks, particularly Mr. Wonderful? (laughs) We're family. We really, really are. We get together. We go to each other's birthdays, go out to dinner, hang out. And Kevin... You know, he's, he's a self-described Mr. Wonderful, yes. but he's, he's a good guy. I mean, we really get along Because well. every once in a while, you guys, I, I mean, all of you, but and that's part of the fun of the show, we'll rub each other oh, the yeah. wrong way and tick each other off. But it's just in the studio. It doesn't... Right. Well, it's like family. Like with people you've worked with for years, there's going to be times when you disagree. But because you have so much respect for each other, you can go at each other. And that's just part of the deal. Right. I mean, I'm not going to back down from Kevin O'Leary. Are you kidding me? And he's not going to back down for me. So the tension you see on, on air is real. But at the end of the day, when the game's over, we're friends. I, I, I want to ask you about something. You talk about how much you admire these people in the American dream. One of the things I notice is whenever anybody gets a deal. At the end, you always say, congratulations. Always. Always. I've been an entrepreneur. I am an entrepreneur. I've started companies that have failed. I know how hard it is. I remember companies, you know, one of my first companies just thinking, okay, I'm in business three months. I'm in business six months. And just the the satisfaction that comes with that. And I recognize just how hard it is to be a successful entrepreneur. So I always want them to know that I support them and I want them to be successful. Well, let's talk about you being an entrepreneur. And I don't mean on somebody else's back. You are famous for getting cold emails, and it's your Gmail address yep. is pretty well known. Yep. Uh, and you get cold emails, pitches, and one of them a couple of years ago got you going into something called cost plus drugs. Now, right. what is that? So there's Dr. Alex Osmiansky, who is a radiologist by trade, who start wanted to create a, a, a compounding pharmacy that would offer drugs less expensively than they could be currently bought, particularly generics. And I'm like, that's a great idea, but let's do it a little differently. So we we started costplusdrugs.com. And the challenge with the pharmaceutical industry is a lack of trust. It is so obfuscated. It is so dark. It, you know, No one really knows what anything costs. No one really knows why things are done. So I made the decision, let's create some radical transparency in Cost Plus Drugs. So if you go to costplusdrugs.com and put in whatever medication that you take, You'll not, and if no, we, we're talking about generics, we'll be adding branded drugs. And I expect that that's not going to stop. We'll keep on adding more and more. But initially, now we're up, up at about 850, 900 generic drugs. Okay, so you say you go in, you put you down put the, the drug name you in, want. Right. And when it comes up, then not only will you see the price that we sell it for, but you'll see the price that we pay for it. So if we pay $10, we mark it up 15%, so the price of the drug becomes $11.50. Then we add $3 for pharmacy handling fee and $5 for shipping. That's it. And by doing it and taking that approach, you can see what our markups are, obviously, but it ends up being so much less expensive than anywhere else. We're, we're often saving people 70 80 90%. All right. I mean, I was going to ask you that. You talk about the relatively low markup. How much... If I go to my drugstore right. and I want to get a generic drug, what's it going to cost me 
at, the, at my drugstore as opposed to getting it from cost Depends on the prescription, who prescribed it, and where you're picking it up. Because a lot of times, it, you know, I, I said there's no transparency in the, the drug industry. The pharmacists often don't even know what the price is going to be when you walk in and hand them the prescription or go in to pick up your prescription. They just get, they just see the price that's being charged and they charge it to you. And so often, uh, particularly in the big retail chains, there's, there's things that we'll sell for $7, $8 that they'll try to charge $300 for. I mean, no, not really. No, for real. For real. Like there's, I always pronounce it around, monotop, amenitap, you know, some words you can't just get them out, right? Right. But it's for leukemia. So drug for leukemia. And the retail price is $2,000. And the discount price at a lot of major pharmacies. This is what, for a, a month's supply? Or? Yeah, a month's supply okay. of, a pill, of yes. pills, right, for leukemia patients. And they'll, the retail price would be $2,000. Their discounted price might be $995. And ours is $39. I mean, that's not just a matter of savings. That's it's a matter of life and death, yeah, right? I mean, because, it, I mean, a, a, a lot of families can't pay two or $3,000 a month for a drug, but they certainly could pay... Yeah, 19 your, or 29 Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, there are the idea that you have to choose between rent, food, and medication in this day and age is just wrong. And the, the pharmaceutical industry is so dominated by three companies that... They don't care. They'll either get you on the assurance side, they'll get you on the, the pharmacy benefit manager side, or they'll get you on the retail pharmacy side. We just completely work outside of that system. We don't get involved with it at all. And that allows us to not only be transparent, but to work on a 15% markup. Yeah, but, but let me ask, because that might work another way. Uh, he, our company has a deal with an insurance company in yep. a specific pharmacy. Uh-huh. And when I get my drugs, I get uh, you know a medication, I'm getting it. Uh, at a discounted price because the insurance company is picking up most of it. No, probably, particularly here with a major corporation, right? Um, they're probably self-insured and they're using a third party to manage that insurance program for them. So Chris goes in and picks up whatever medication and let's just say the retail price is $1,000 for that medication. What they'll say is we're only gonna charge your employer $300, right? right? What they're not saying is that that pharmacy benefit manager that negotiated the deal for your employer is probably paying $60. And what we're saying is we'll just pay the $60, maybe we'll pay $65, market up 15%. I'll give you a quick example. For the Mavericks, we do the exact same thing. We have a company we work with, we have great insurance plan for our employees. They all love it, no co-pays, nothing. But I had our, our folks go through, and just for the generics that we currently sell, we spent over the last two years $165,000. Um, the Mavs did through our insurance company. Um, the price, if we had done it through cost plus drugs, 19000 80 plus percent savings. And I thought we had a great insurance program. I hear, and please tell me as a, as a uh, Shark Tank fan that this is not true, <laughs> that you are so committed to cost plus drugs that you are considering leaving the show. Yeah, and it's not so much cost plus drugs as it is having a, a daughter who just went away to college. It used to, when they were all in high school and went to the same two schools, all of our schedules could be worked out together, but it, it was more a question of wanting to spend more time with my family, but they came to me, the Shark Tank came to me after our live show the other day and made me promise I'd come back for at least one more season. But after that, I don't know. Really? Don't, yeah, and it's not that I don't love doing the show. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love the message it sends, but you know, I love spending time with my kids too. I don't know. The kids are like, <laughs> and I'm also not sure the kids are so crazy about spending time. No, with they're you. not. That's the worst part. It's, you know what it's like. My kids are 13, 16, and 19. 
Yeah, by the, but well, actually, by nineteen they might like you again. The thirteen and sixteen year old, no, not it's, so no, much. By nineteen year old, let's just say it's 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 a struggle. So I won't get so much time. So you clearly were born with the salesman gene. Yeah. I've read that when you were twelve years old, you went door to door selling garbage bags yeah. because you wanted to get enough money to buy a pair of sneakers. The basketball you like. shoes, yeah, absolutely. My dad was playing poker. I'll never forget it. And I'm like, Dad, you know, I want a new pair of basketball sneakers. And he looks at my looks at me, and goes. You know, those shoes on your feet, they look pretty damn good. When you have a job, you can buy whatever you want. And I'm like, Dad, I'm 12 years old. Well, like every Thursday night when my dad played poker with his buddies at our house, there was beer everywhere, there was snacks. And one of his buddies was like, hey, I've got all these boxes of garbage bags. So literally, I would go door to door with a box of garbage bags and I'd be like, hi, my name is Mark. Do you use garbage bags? <laughs> Who's going to say no, you know, to a 12-year-old? And, and so... And then I would get my, my little wagon or whatever, and I'd take them door to door to door. And I like, probably had the world's first and only garbage bag subscription company. It was great. <laughs> it literally was great. So, I mean, the people would sign up, and then yes. they, the next week? Yeah, when they uh, ran out of garbage bags, there was 100 of them. And they weren't very good because we kept a bunch for years. Um, when they ran out of their 100 garbage bags, they would just call, you know, and I would go deliver some more. Okay. In 1995, you and a friend uh-huh. buy an uh, audio online service that ends up becoming Broadcast.com. Started, yeah, started. Didn't buy it, but started. Oh, really? Because yeah. I had read somewhere that Yeah, you... they got that wrong. I know exactly where you had read. Yeah, we had started it. That, okay. What was the idea there? The idea there was um, we, my Todd Wagner and I, who was my partner, one of my best friends, um, went to Indiana University. And literally to listen to an IU basketball game in Dallas, Texas, we would call somebody in Bloomington, Indiana, one of our friends that was still there, and they would hold um, the radio to a speakerphone, and we'd be on the other side of the speakerphone listening to the game. And when the internet started happening and I was a technology geek, I was like, I can figure out a better way. So started with a computer in the second bedroom of my house, and we figured out how to do streaming. Back then, we called it internet broadcasting. And it started with just on demand, then it went to live, then it went to video. And the next thing you know, you know, we were dominating the multimedia on the internet business. So four years later, four years later, you sell to Yahoo for $5.7 billion. Yep. So how does it feel? (laughs) At at what age were you then? Um, How old was I? That was, I was 41 going on 42. How did it feel to, at age 41 to be a billionaire? Really good. <laughs> <laughs> really, really good. I make no apologies for it whatsoever. I mean, look, the idea that the internet stock market was going bananas at the right time for us is certainly luck. But um, yeah, it took, it took a lot of work and a lot of effort to get there. Okay. So one of the things that a new billionaire can do uh-huh. is they can buy a sports team. Yep. And within months, you go ahead and buy the Dallas Mavericks NBA professional basketball team for $275 million. Yep. And the last I saw, it is valued at $2.7 billion. Not bad, is it? <laughs> so that's like 10 times. Yeah, that's the way the math works. Yeah, I mean, that's only if you want to sell it, though, and I don't. I'm really hoping that it becomes a legacy company for my kids. Um, Running a sports team in this day and age is not easy. With social media, there's as much hate as there is love, if not more. But at the same time, basketball is a sport I'm passionate about. I love owning the Mavs. I love being part of the team and and trying to win and the competitive side of it. So hopefully that carries on to my kids. Is it sort of boys and their toys? I mean, is that is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not a business first. I mean, I don't run it to make money. Um, I mean, 
I get, when, when there's a last second shot, Spencer Dinwiddie hits a last second shot, I get to run on the floor and dogpile with everybody else. I get, <laughs> I get to go before the game, right? And I get to get shots up in any arena we're playing in. But the idea that, you know, I, there's a basketball court that's about to play an NBA game and I get to just go out there and make 10 threes in a row. Um, what's better no, than that? No, that's the first thing you've said to me. I don't play. <laughs> oh, Over the it. years... You've given some money back to the NBA, yeah. however. Yeah. $3 million in fines. Is that what it is now? That's what our crack <laughs> research team says. Um, complaining about the refs, yep. complaining to the refs. Has it been worth it? Yes, absolutely. There's been a lot of changes. $3 million worth of it? Yes. I mean, the therapy, <laughs> the yelling in the screen. You know, I'm typically really, really calm outside of a Mavs game, but for some reason, during the game, it's, that's when all everything just comes out. All the stress comes right out. And sometimes the things I say, if we lose, the NBA doesn't like. But I'm, I'm okay with that. So I'm, we're showing pictures of you here. Uh, and, and, you know, I just wonder, one of the pictures is you coming out on the court after a game. I think you got fined $100,000 for that. I mean, is that really worth it to you? Yeah, I mean, you got... Yes. <laughs> but I mean, does it do any good or is it just... No, no, it's, you know, the rules have been changed. Rules have been changed. The game, the game has been changed, um, you know, in terms of clear path foul, right? I used to always... There's a thing where if you stop a fast break and they used to um, only give one shot plus the ball, right? I, and I showed them the math. Um, I used to get so mad. Um, and I showed them the math that it should be two shots. Otherwise, you reward the defensive team for the foul. Right now, there's a thing called the rip-through. And I'm just arguing left and right. And you'll probably see me get fined again during the season because they refuse to change it yet. But they will. They don't but, know it yet. But when but you will. do it, is it uh -huh. strategic? This will get the NBA's attention or are you just I know when I'm going to be fined. I know when I'm going to be fined. You do? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because they don't care if I'm boisterous or loud or crazy on the sidelines. They care if I say something in the media that they think might make the league look bad. So I'm only going to talk to the media. Because, you know, the reporters ask me after every game if I have anything to say. And, you know, 99% of the time I don't. But when I do... It feels good, and it's for a reason. You're also a big investor in cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, does it bother you, these wild swings in the value of cryptocurrency? And you've got to know that there are some people who say, hey, I was following Mark Cuban's advice, and I lost a lot of money. So there's two things there. One, there's the speculation. If you go back to the early days of the internet, people looked at Amazon or Microsoft and you know the, the price of the stocks were just going crazy. Um, and there was a lot of speculation, but that was the noise, right? That really wasn't a questioning of the underlying technology and the underlying opportunity. And I think the same applies to crypto. Now with Voyager, they're a sponsor of the maps. And all I did was give one, I gave one presentation um, with them saying, hey, I like this company. It's a public company in the Toronto Stock Exchange. Unfortunately, they made a lot of bad decisions and, and it cost me money and it cost other people money. But, but I mean, Bitcoin is the mm -hmm. one I, I looked at. It's, it's, now one third of the value oh, yeah. that it was, I think, last November. Well, so were a lot of stocks too. You know, if you look at the price of Netflix, the price of you know almost any company, even Apple, the the bellwether is down seventeen percent. So look, cryptocurrencies are without question. If you're just buying it to speculate on the price, you're going to have ups and downs. And where is the high and where is the low? I have no idea. Bitcoin is more like digital gold. 
you know, people who buy gold rarely take possession of it. You know, it's just a trading mechanism. And Bitcoin is very much the same thing, only it's got, it's, it's easier to trade and it's got, I think, even more utility. But there's, there's a there there. It's not just flip a coin, what's this worth and supply and demand. You've gotten into something of a running battle with Senator Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. And it, it started when you took her out or took her on for what you said, demonizing people who were wealthy. Right. And she fired back. Mark Cuban and his kind need to pay their taxes. And we need to change the laws so they're not written just by the lobbyists for Mark Cuban and his buddies so that they don't get uh, exploited, so they don't get to take advantage of every one of the loopholes they've built in. We need to change the law. You said recently, going back at her, part of this running war, that she is everything that's wrong yeah. with politics. So first of all, Mark Cuban and his buddies, my buddies aren't rich. My buddies are my high school friends, my college friends. It's not like there's a, a collective of people who try to um, change tax laws. Second, I don't lobby anybody for changes in tax laws. I wrote a blog post probably almost 20 years ago saying after military service, the most patriotic thing you can do is pay your taxes. I have no problem. I think three, four years ago now, last time I checked, I paid 19% in taxes and three um, the year after that, I paid 29% in taxes. And I've said many times, if you want to take the the top tax rate from 37 to 38, 39, I'm fine with that. Where she went wrong is one, just without asking me, checking with me, doing anything, right? You know, my kind. I mean, that's what's wrong with politics. When you demonize anybody, look, she was a waitress. She deserves all the credit in the world. She busted her ass to go from being a waitress and starting and being a single parent to being a multimillionaire. Good for her, but what about her kind? Should she be judged by just based off of her pocketbook? Was, I, was it okay to listen to me when I was poor and sleeping on the floor, but not okay to listen to what I have to say because I'm wealthy now? To me, that's what politicians do. They demonize some groups so they can, you know, like she had her cut cups, billionaire tears. That's just wrong. That's everything that's wrong with politics. And, and what's the point? That you're pandering to a certain group of voters? Yes, right. That's, if, you know, that's what politics is today. Who can I cast dispersion at? Who can I demonize to make them look like the bad guy so I look like the good one, right? You know, when she, there would be no cosplay. If she got the, um, her, um, the law passed to tax um, unrealized gains, there'd be no cost plus drugs. We have, by the time this series, we'll have a million customers who are saving a lot of money each and every month they wouldn't be having those savings if I had to put aside capital to wait to see what would happen. And the way the market went going from here down to here, I'd be waiting on money to come back. There's just no way I could afford to do cost plus drugs. I also wonder about something you hear from her and Bernie Sanders when they say, we just want you or elder wealthy people to pay your fair share. And, and I guess my question is, you know, if you want to say, raise my taxes, that's one thing. Or yeah. raise your taxes, that's one thing. But to say, I want you to pay your fair share as if what you're paying now, which is a hell of a lot of money, yeah. isn't your fair share. Again, it's just demonizing. That's it. It's not, look, when she came out originally with the wealth tax, um, was the 2% and above $50 million, 
turns out I knew somebody or had a connection to somebody who was on our, our economics team that said that it was a good idea and I reached out to them because when you model these types of things, there's two ways to do it. You can do a one-year model and then you do a 10-year model. The 10-year model accounts for behavioral changes because just like I said, if, if she was, were to pass this law, I'd have to retain a lot of capital to pay the taxes. Well, she didn't model it for 10 years to deal with behavioral changes. To me, that's, that is the part that's not right. That's just pandering. You're not trying to impact change. You're just trying to get votes. And if you, she wants to have a conversation about how to generate uh, more wealth, how to deal with income inequality, which is a huge problem, let's have that conversation. If she wants to charge me more in taxes, I'm not against it. I'm not looking to pay zero taxes. I'm, whatever my fair share is, I'm okay with that. But you got to do it in a way that rewards people for taking risks, rewards people for creating companies, rewards, you know, and accepts the fact that when they're successful, sometimes their success goes to an extreme. That's just the way it works. The fact that it was me, you know, I feel blessed every single day, but it could be you, it could be her, it could be anybody. That's, that's what happens in, the Amer in America. All of which raises the question, Mark, uh -huh. will you consider again running for president? No. Well, no. let me, let me do no. <laughs> Wow, that was quick. Real I quick. mean, you, you considered it in 2020, yeah. and you did play with it yeah, uh, for, sure. with a, for a while, uh, and your family ended up voting no. Yeah, four to one. And now the question is 2024. No. Why? Because I think it'll have more impact outside. I think what I'm doing with Cost Plus Drugs is just the start. I think we can truly, absolutely, 10 years from now, when we look back, you'll say Cost Plus Drugs was an inflection point in the changing of the entire pharmaceutical industry. We just revolutionized. That's more. I mean, I'm not denigrating that in any way, shape, or sure. form. You think that's bigger than being president of the United States? Absolutely. Because I don't think you know, presidents take credit for more things than they do, and they're criticized for more things than they do. Um, and I just don't think the president of the United States has near the impact of, as an entrepreneur in this particular industry can. I read uh, somewhere that you said the the upside of being Mark Cuban, of having my wealth is obvious, but there's also a downside because, to get the quote right, you quote, kind of lost that piss and vinegar. Yeah. Now, I have to say, you got a lot of piss and vinegar. <laughs> you should tell me before, Chris. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. uh, really? This is... Uh... Yeah, I think I said that before Cost Plus Drugs. You know, costplusdrugs.com has really revitalized my, my energy, if you will, because, as I said, the opportunity to change the pharmaceutical industry in a way that makes it more affordable so that people are healthier, that people don't have to make the, these choices. Um, what's better than that? You know, that's exciting to me. I mean, this is a company we started when I was 60 years old, and I, I feel like I'm back 25 again, you know, just hustling and bustling and, and getting it done. And that, that's what being an entrepreneur is all about and being a disruptive entrepreneur. I mean, if there's some people want to put their names on buildings, this is the only company I've ever put my name on. Um, and if what I leave to my kids is just, People asking them, I remember, or telling them, I remember when your dad started Cost Plus Drugs and the impact it had on me. That, that's a piss and vinegar builder. <laughs> I think most people would say, and I think most people who just watched this show would say that you wear your success and your money, your wealth lightly, that you seem to enjoy it the way they think they would enjoy it if they were this successful. Is it as cool and as fun being Mark Cuban as it seems? 99% of the time, yeah. The only downside is some of the pressure it puts on my kids, being my, you know, being my child. 
Um, it's sometimes not fair to them because they're, they're already labeled as, you know, who I am or as opposed to who they are. And I'm sure you, you've dealt with the same thing and your sons. Um, but, you know, and then the other side is there's always a camera somewhere. I can't be that same idiot with my friends that I used to be, you know, and, and that's sometimes. Yeah, but leave us on the positive side. What's the positive side? Oh, the positive side is everything else, right? I mean, oh my goodness. Um, just being able to wake up every day knowing I can have an impact, being able to wake up every day knowing that I, there's things that I can enjoy that I never dreamed I'd be able to do. I mean, look, I'm the luckiest son of a gun on the planet. You know, when I, when I die, I want to come back as me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Mark? Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Always. Mark Cuban once said he didn't care about the business of the Mavericks, only about winning championships. Since he took over the team in 2000, the Mavericks have missed the playoffs just five times, and they won the NBA championship in 2011. We'll see how they do this season. Thanks for watching. Catch us every Sunday night on CNN and keep streaming anytime you want right here on HBO Max to find out who's talking next.